0: Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, We all contend with challenges, and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please, pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, we are sitting today doing this recording. It's February 1st, and I know we're not going to be putting this wonderful episode out till next month. but. It's all encompassing to me that I've had lots of people this week say to me, are you going to do something for February that's heart-centered? And I wanted to start off the show today to say heart-centered leadership is about being heart-centered 365 days of the year, not just the month of February or February 14th. And this lovely young woman that I'm going to introduce you to today has just written a book called Servant Leadership, let me tell you a little bit about Katrin Van out Houston. And yes, I did get lessons from her on correct pronunciation of her name. I'm so excited to have her on the show. She is a new coach and really an aspiring servant leader, which to me, servant leadership, heart-centered leadership, they're synonymous. But here's what I love about her. She has 20 years of international experience as a coach, a management consultant, an organizational development professional, and she's focusing her coaching practice to guide leaders to authentic, effortless, selfless leadership. I love that so much. I'm going to say it again. Authentic, effortless, selfless leadership. She uses a unique online approach, and she applies 16 tested practices from her own world wisdom traditions. So, Katrin, welcome to the show. Thank you
1: so much for having me.
0: I am so delighted, and I wanted to tell you, I bought your book on Kindle. Congrats. I'm clapping my hands for you now as a fellow heart-centered servant leader, your new friend in Canada. I love how your book flowed. We're going to put the description and the link in the podcast episode description for everybody to go grab an actual book or the Kindle version. And my leadership questions today, I want them to paint a trajectory because you've had such a beautiful transition from graduating from postgraduate degree to what led you to where you are now. And I'm so excited to ask you these questions. So are you ready? Of course. (laughs) All right. Okay. So my first question is, when I look at your academic choice and completion of school, how has your academic pursuits in law and mediation, how did that lead you down the rabbit hole to have the interest and pursuit of servant leadership? I am so excited to hear this answer.
1: Well, it's a long one. I'll try to I'll try to keep it short. So, I ended up studying law for reasons unknown to myself. I just ended up doing that because I didn't really have a good alternative, and I figured out quite quickly that I was a very bad lawyer. I was simply not good at it and I didn't enjoy it very much. But nevertheless, I finished school and started as a legal counsel in hospitals, and this was sort of a nice mix for me because it was an internal role. And it was involved with with ethics and patient rights and things that spoke to my idealist heart. And soon I found myself going more into project management and being more interested in how people work together than in the actual legal stuff. So this moved more into organizational development roles, and I tried some consulting, so I wanted to see the other side, not just the internal nonprofit um, and healthcare side. It sort of ended up being 20 years almost in... um, various organizational development and change management roles. But I often ended up in staff, executive staff to executive roles, discussing and and working on how we could improve the way people work together.
0: I love that. I used to be a medical case manager. So like you, I lived and breathed under that risk management umbrella. And I worked alongside of mediators and adjudicators and lawyers, both on the plaintiff and defense side. And it struck me how similar our backgrounds were aligned and now look at the work that we're both doing. And we wanted to get into the profession within our own practice that we could lead from heart. So I just think that's so beautiful because when we hear the word lawyer or the law sector or even mediation, I don't think servant leadership or heart-centered leadership comes to the forefront So my second question has permanent residency on the show and every one of my guests, and we're now over 160 guests on the show, share with us what imperfections that you bring to your heart-centered leadership
1: quite a few. Although I talk about selfless uh, leadership, and for me, selfless means literally having seen through the illusion of the self. I am definitely an ego. (laughs) So that's always what I try to be very clear about. This doesn't mean that we get rid of our egos or that they disappear or that we make them very small and humble. It just means that we're able to see that we're more than that. So imperfections... A boatload, my whole arrogant, stuck up ego that I bring to the table. And I think that has also something to do with growing up an expat in Thailand and seeing 40 different cultures being very mature, you know, at a very young age due to this international exposure. And this kind of stayed with me. And those are imperfections that in working together with others, I really had to transcend because they often got in the way. And even my idealism, you know, the thing we were just talking about and this desire to help people work together and improve others and the organization was very much, let's say, not really on eye level. So (laughs) there was some arrogance in that too, quite often.
0: I love your candidness on that. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to relate to that. My next question, I want to kind of spend a little bit of time talking about organizational development because it was uh, again, a natural transition for you in your leadership trajectory to be chief of staff at Paderborn University. And, and just a little qualification here chief of staff you know, it's a big, big role to undertake. You're, you're working behind the scenes. You brought forth your transferable skills as a mediator, you know, mediating disputes and being that problem solver before it gets to the C-suite executive level. It's It's the gatekeeper of all, if you will. So share with us All those transferable skills that you brought from your time as a lawyer, your time in mediations, conflict resolution, all of that packaged into that chief of staff. What did you learn during your tenure in that role? What was present in servant leadership or what did you really notice was missing? and, And it led to your transition to where you are today. I know it's a loaded boat question, but it's so full of richness that I'm excited
1: to hear from Well, I hope I give a coherent answer to that. I was actually at at the age of uh, 27, I was also the youngest uh, general counsel, chief of staff, mixed role in, in the Dutch Cancer Institute before I then transferred to the University of Paderborn in Germany in a similar role. So these were all similar roles where I was part legal, part chief of staff type of advisory to the president or the CEO. And what I noticed most of all was the politics, the posturing the ego within both this hospital and university, which are nonprofit organizations, where either the students or the patients are supposed to come first. And in a way they do. I mean, it's not, it wasn't all negative. There were wonderful things being done. At the same time, at this C-suite and manager level, it was all about power and ego. How do I get my status and position and ambitions pushed through? On the other hand, that's also how things got done in these organizations. So I think for me personally, there was this constant mix of, I don't like this. I want the world to be different, the idealist side. Okay, but how can I deal with reality? How can I have influence in these roles and work for good, do something, be a servant leader, help others progress and and work together without falling into this political swamp So I guess that was a constant balance and dilemma that I faced in those roles. I'm so glad that
0: you framed it the way you did. And wasn't it interesting that you kept having that tug and that pull to, again, have your own self-awareness? And then it guided you back into probably the servant leader you've always been. Just such an interesting trajectory. This question I have asked only of you because I'm dying to hear your answer. And because you're a servant leadership and we have similar backgrounds, do you feel that servant leadership has been brought to the forefront with the global climate? Or do you feel that we're going back to basics and this is
1: where leadership actually really started in history? Well, (laughs) so for me, the current discourse around servant leadership has come back via the agile discussion. So the scrum and agile worlds have brought servant leadership back to the forefront. But the whole discussion as I hear it now is all about servant leadership as a moral imperative or an invitation to be this type of benevolent, other's first person. And nobody really tells you how to get there. So... Even the, you know, the original Robert Greenleaf literature is, is very aspirational. You know, these are the qualities you're supposed to have. And then they say, you know, good luck, become like Mahatma Gandhi or whatever it is, whoever your ideal is, and try to emulate that. So I think the push at the moment is from, yes, we need these inspirational characters. We need these servant leaders on the scene. And at the same time, there's this bit of sarcasm or cynicism that nobody can live up to this anyway. So there's an undertone of servant leadership is ridiculous because it's not practical and and nobody can live up to it. Again, both sides. And it's beautiful because we get to sit in the
0: mediator chair and go, hold on a minute, this can be done. And and I love that you anchored it back to what you said, that agile behavior and looking at scrum masters and the discussion of bringing it back into servant leadership. You know, there's many leaders who have said to me over the last decade, you know, servant leadership, heart leadership. Yeah, people might like you, but they won't respect you. What an opportunity for a great conversation. I love it.
1: Yeah, so this is what I call the doormat argument, right? That if you become a servant leader, you're going to just overflow in in unselfish, self-sacrificing, self-denying doormat behavior. Everyone's going to walk all over you and they won't respect you and won't take you seriously. So I guess there are people like that. I don't know. But this is why for me it's so important that what I call selfless leadership is not selflessness in the sense of being unselfish or self-sacrificing or putting others first before myself and neglecting myself. It's actually literally seeing that the, the self, the ego, is a construct created by the mind. In the meantime, it has neuropsychological and other scientific background. So it's not just Buddhism, for example, saying this, but science as well. And this is something that I'm so excited about because it is something that every human being can learn to see. And hopefully once they see it, they can practice
0: it and keep it implemented into their servant leadership. I love that. Okay. I'm going to switch over to my fab four, just four fun questions. We want to see what's on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. Question number one,
1: tell us something that we don't know about you. I have tried probably every single diet under the sun. I have a long obsession with nutrition and being the self-experimenter that I am, I've tried everything. I mean, from whole food, plant-based, completely vegan to the extreme opposite, 100% meat-only carnivore and everything in between.
0: Well, I think that that's kind of fun. And it's also contributing to your self-awareness and, and culinary interests. I, I can probably say the same. I'm, I'm a big foodie and I love every kind of cuisine that's out there. I love to cook. I think it's a fun hobby. So there's something else we have aligned. Okay. Second question. Who is a leader that you would love to meet and have dinner with? And this person could be living or they could be passed away. And share with us why you would want to meet this person and what would be like a
1: burning question you would have for them. I would really would have loved to meet one of the last few Indian sages. I'm not sure if I pronounce it correctly, but there's Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj and was quite big in India at the time. And he really explained and lived this pure, non-dual understanding. And I would have loved just to attend one of those meetings and ask my own questions.
0: Well, it's interesting that you have those interests, because five years ago, on my 50th birthday that year, I decided to become a yoga teacher, not because I wanted to teach. I did land up teaching for a little bit, but I wanted to really lean into that level of spirituality and learning the Sanskrit language and its history and and richness. And it wasn't about doing downward dogs on my yoga mat because yoga is science of the mind. And I think it's contributed so much to my own self-awareness and leadership. And I'm hearing that from you. And I think he would have been a phenomenal person just to meet and have an enriched conversation of learning his story. So I align with you on that so much. My third fab four question is, do you have a favorite word that you use on repeat or in your writing and share with us what it is and why you use it?
1: Effortless and authentic. They're on repeat because both are so important to me. The authentic selfless leadership in contrast to this, you know, moral, doing good, dogmatic version of servant leadership, where it's all about this posturing humility and effortless because it's so important for me that this is the type of service, selfless service that flows. It flows out of us. And if it's anything that we have to force or manipulate within ourselves, that's not it. I love that.
0: Beautifully said. And I would agree. Those are two of your favorite words. They're in my favorite word toolkit too. Before I ask you my last question that closes out the show, I just want to say thank you for writing this book. Thank you for being a servant leader. I am grateful to LinkedIn that our paths have crossed. And I appreciate you wanting to spend some time with me today, but share your story and your expertise and give us a little glimpse into a little bit of your heart. So thank you for that. All right. All my guests close out the show by finishing this sentence.
1: Heart-centered leadership is. When the mind falls into the heart and we lead from there.
0: You've been listening to the heart-centered leadership podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the heart-centered leadership toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time. And we'll see you again.